It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. What's going on here? You guys, the winning in Minnesota sports. I'm not accustomed to this. I don't think you guys really are either, but the, the Wolves uh, pull out another big win over uh, the Kings last night in in Sacramento. No beam will be lit um, in Sacramento. The Wild, a very convincing win over Seattle Kraken, Matt Boldy, another hat trick in this game. I think he's got nine goals in his last five games, something ridiculous like that. A lot of, obviously, all of it without uh, Kirill Kaprizov, but he's just doing great work with that new line with Joel Erickson Eck and Marcus Johansson. Um, we'll get to that here in just a minute, both those games. I'm um, going to get to some, uh, some NFL thoughts towards the end, some Twins thoughts towards the end. Um, and most importantly, Marcus Fuller. Star Tribune, Gophers, men's basketball, college uh, basketball writer will join me here in a few minutes to talk NCAA tournament, to talk Gophers, to talk transfer portal, things like that. So I hope you enjoy that conversation with Marcus as well. But uh, first, what did I miss? Like I said, Wild and Wolves. Let's start with the Wolves just because um, they're the they're the more interesting new team playing well. The Wild's been on this streak the last 15, 20 games where Seems like they score, um, they score and gain, gain points pretty much every single game. But the Wolves were pretty much feel like they were dead in the water like a week ago, right? They were 35 and 37. They were going into New York to play a game without Carl Anthony Towns, without Anthony Edwards. Um, New York was red hot. The Knicks were, you know, winning almost every game. Tom Thibodeau has, was the toast of the town. And Torian Prince throws in eight three pointers, eight for eight from three point range. They end up winning that game, I think, 140 to 134, despite Julius Randle's 57 points. They come home. That's when that's when Cat comes back. He rescues them with a couple of late free throws against the Hawks. Then they go on this road trip. Cat hits a couple big threes. They beat the they beat the Warriors, and that Warriors win um, was the one where I felt like all of a sudden, not just um, a play-in berth was possible, but that they were talking serious top six when they won that game on uh, on Sunday night. But they had to come right back Monday and play again against the Kings. Very good team. The number three seed in the West right now. And uh, they did it again. They won again 119-115. Got it done down the stretch in the clutch. All five starters had between 15 and 20 points in this game. Seven players overall in double figures, including also... Um, Naz Reed in double figures and Jalen Noel in double figures. So they, you know, they had scoring up and down the lineup, but everybody who had double figures was between 14 and 20 points. That's extremely big, extremely good balance in, in the lineup on the roster. Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 16 rebounds, four assists. Uh, Kyle Anderson, 15 points, 11 assists. Um, just, you know, a lot of contributions up and down the lineup. But what's really striking to me, and I think Chris Hine, Star Tribune beat writer made this point on Twitter, and he made another point that I'll get back to the other day on the show. Uh, you know, basically saying the Timberwolves are just a different team than they were even a month ago. They're smarter, more mature, and actually do winning things on the floor, like get big rebounds when needed. Now to make the free throws, and he's right about that. They only shot like 64% on free throws last night. Um, more problems with that than than you would care to admit. It made that finish. A little closer than it had to be, although it didn't really get too dicey in the end, even though they missed some of those free throws in the final minutes because 
Because they play defense. They, they play closing time defense and have enough closing time offense. I think Alan Horton does a great job on Wolves Radio. Had a great tweet after the, uh, I think it was after the Golden State win, said Wolves in clutch time this season. They've played 43 games in clutch time, fifth most in the league. They're 25 and 18 in clutch games this year, seventh best. They have a 104 defensive rating in clutch time this season, which is sixth best in the league. In the final 30 seconds of one possession games, the Timberwolves' opponents have not made a three-pointer. 0 for 11, and they are 4 for 29 overall on field goals. So they play really good ISO, man-to-man, late-game defense. I think they did it again against the Kings. They made the Kings work for everything. The Kings never quite got all the way back into that game after the Wolves pulled ahead in the final few minutes. And they did it again against Golden State the other night, getting those stops when they had to. So that is becoming a certain identity on this team. I think that starts with Rudy Gobert. It starts with Jaden McDaniels. And it starts with Mike Conley Jr., who, uh, you know, I think Royce made the point. I've made the point. Chris Hine made the point. The way he plays defense, it, it might not be at the level that he once was, uh, but it is a stark difference from the way that uh, that D'Angelo Russell played defense. This is not, you know, this is not a, a place to come for D'Angelo Russell bashing right now. By the way, this is just to point out that Mike Conley Jr. pays much more attention on the defensive end. Just a solid overall player. He had 16 points, three assists, two rebounds, a steal in 28 minutes in that game. So they they get it done in the second game of a back-to-back. Cat doesn't play, making sure he's going to be okay, not going to not going to worry about that in a back-to-back things like that. Not going to rush him into it, but this team right now all the way up to 6th now in the West holding a ton of tiebreaker edges over the Warriors now, over um still over the Clippers, over the Mavericks, over the the Jazz who are fading fast. Um, big one Wednesday against the Suns when it sounds like Kevin Durant could come back. They've got tiebreaker edges over almost everybody, the Lakers too. So if it comes down to two team tiebreakers at the end, they are going to be in very good shape. Even if it doesn't, I think they're in pretty good shape right now. feels like top eight, far more likely than it was a week ago. Top six, far more realistic than it was a week ago. And I don't quite know how to put my finger on it other than this is a team that I think got a boost from Towns coming back and is just playing a more mature brand of basketball, a kind of basketball that could make them an interesting first-round opponent, a difficult first-round opponent if they are able to get that far, if they're able to get in. I think they will give someone a good series, and it would not surprise me, especially if it's against the Kings, who they've been good against this year. It would not surprise me if they were able to win a first-round series, you know, if they were in that 3-6 series against the Kings. So I don't know exactly where it's going. I like where it's going right now. Two games over 500. I think somebody pointed out that I tweeted like a month ago that they wouldn't even make the play-in, mark it down. Uh, yeah, don't mark that down. That was not correct. But that that's the nature of this team this season. They're, they're all over the map. You can't predict them. And, it's again, it's the, it's the games you don't expect them to win that they win. And that was the case again on uh, on Monday night. Now, the Wild, my goodness, this is setting up for quite a finish. They're in first place in the Central Division, but they get eight games left. And check this next three out at Colorado and then against Vegas and again against Vegas. Colorado one point behind the Wild in the Central, but Colorado's played one fewer games. So right there, there's a this is a huge matchup. Colorado just as hot as the Wild. They're 9-1 in their last 10. The Wild 7-1-2. And, and then Vegas is the first-place team over in the Pacific. Wild just three points behind, behind Vegas. So a chance right in these next three games to really assert themselves or fall back a little bit. 
Um, you know, playoff position definitely. Uh, you know, making the playoffs definitely going to happen. I would think this year, just looking at where they are right now, uh, ten points clear of the fourth place Jets in the Central Division. Um, you know, very very clear of, of all those other teams. So it feels like that's that's less the issue right now. Now the issue is fine tuning and winning, getting some points in these next three games. This Colorado game is going to be huge. Like I said, if they can win that game, they're going to feel good about their chances of winning the Central. If they can't. I feel like Colorado might have the juice down the stretch to get it done, but you know, just just a just a complete turnaround for the Wild. And this is this is different than the Wolves turnaround. The Wolves turnaround has been for like a week. The Wild's turnaround has been for like a month. They were they were dead in the water right after the All Star break. We were wondering if they were even going to make the playoffs at all. Now we're talking about winning the division. Now we're talking about you know can they be the number one overall seed in the conference? Matt Boldy, like I said, nine goals in his last five games. Another hat trick, second hat trick in his last few games. Um, Monday, just, just thriving right now. Kirill Kaprizov injured, has not mattered all that much. Somehow, some way, they're definitely going to need him back soon. Definitely going to need him back for the playoffs. But for right now, with Matt Boldy carrying the scoring, the defense doing what it does, the goaltending doing what it does, this is a team that feels like it's got some depth, has got some momentum, has got a chance when you get to the postseason. That's all you can ask for, really, is to have a chance when you get to the postseason. So much of it, though, will be determined by seeding with the Wolves and the Wild. If both of them can get favorable first-round opponents, if the Wild can get a top-two finish in the Central, get home ice, if the Wolves can get into the top six, get a, get a draw like Sacramento, that feels like that will be a much bigger difference in this uh, this playoffs than if they just merely get in. So these final you know seven eight games for these teams going to be a huge huge tell into how far they could possibly go in the postseason. But right now it's fun. This is fun. Both these teams are playing really well. It's fun to watch them right now. And at, at various points, not that long ago, you certainly would not say that about either team. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's talk some hoops today on Daily Delivery. And if we're going to do that, no better person to do that with than Marcus Fuller, Gophers men's basketball beat writer, college basketball writer at the Star Tribune. Um, Marcus has been a lot a lot of places right now. He did, did, did some work at the uh, boys' uh, state basketball tournament. He was over there for a couple of days. He caught up with uh, future Gopher Isaac Asura, Asuma. And uh, um, I want to get into that a little bit. But Marcus... What I mostly want to talk about is the men's tournament this year, the men's basketball tournament, which we're down to the final four. Um, I got to admit, I, I think I said this, uh, I can't remember who I was telling this to the other day, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to just for fun pool and nobody in our 16 person group has anybody left in the final four. Our pool is essentially over uh, because of the surprise teams that, that we still have left down to Florida Atlantic, San Diego state, UConn, which you know is not a total shock, but a four seed, and then Miami. Uh, what, what do you make of the tournament so far, Marcus? Yeah, this is a tournament for the ages. I mean, you know, we always talk about parity, and you know, will this be the year where you know we see a Cinderella? But you know, I don't want to call San Diego State a Cinderella because they definitely are not. I mean, a couple of years ago, they only had two losses. I feel like uh, going into the 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 tournament, but um, you know, if you look at what the field 
uh, came into as number one seeds. You know, I think there was in the Sweet 16, um, you know, after that, you know, there were no number one seeds left going into the lead eight for the first time. Um, obviously, you know, it started off with a bang, you know, Purdue losing in the first round. We had another, the second ever 16-1 upset. And, you know, so it was off to the races from the first round on. And, you know, if you look at, not don't take anything away from FAU at all. I mean, they yeah. were actually, you know, and people forget, you know, it's FAU and I say FAU, right? Because a lot of people didn't know <laughs> coming into the tournament, you know, but they they were, uh, you know, a ninth seed and, and they, uh, you know, they, they obviously uh, had a really good season. And I think they had 20, a 20, a game win streak at one point, um, you know, so you don't want to take anything away from them, you know, as a solid team coming into the tournament. But if you look at their path, you know, I mean, obviously Purdue losing in the first round, you know, that, that, took away their opportunity uh, to play Purdue in the second round, which, you know, I'm not sure a team like FAU is built to, to, to withstand a Zach Eady, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, some of the upsets along the way as Duke losing, um, you know, before they get to the lead eight as well, um, you know, had them uh, as an opportunity to not play them uh, moving forward. So there's a lot of, uh, of teams that maybe the path cleared a little bit, San Diego State as well. Uh, instead of playing Virginia in the second round, they played Furman because Furman yes. beat Virginia in the first round. So uh, I'm not uh, going to say that I predicted any of those upsets. I did p- predict Furman in the first round, but all the other, uh, you know, colossal upsets um, I missed. I did get one Final Four correct uh, team, which is UConn. Again, no surprise as, as how talented they are, but they were a four seed and they had some struggles this year. Um, what really killed me was when Bama lost. Um, and to San Diego State, and uh, they, they were that was my national champion. Um, Texas losing, uh, you know, with Marcus Carr's Final Four attempt fell short in the lead eight, and that was a that was a nail biter with Miami. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to bring up the foul call, but I will. Um, hmm. you know, I feel like there's a lot of fouls at the end of games. Um, that you know could have been either, called either way, and and uh, you know the the you know, the Creighton game, uh, San Diego State as well. And, uh, but, you know, credit these teams for uh, getting in that position, you know, where a few fouls down the stretch in games can can make or break it if you make some free throws. Um, but, yeah, that was that was unfortunate seeing Marcus Carr um, not get to the Final Four. His brother did get there back in 2017 with South Carolina, and I wrote about that a lot when I was with the Gophers. Um, but there is still some local flavor. You know, Brian Dutcher, obviously a – Bloomington Jefferson graduate and um, you, you graduate former student manager here, um, you know, with San Diego state. And, and, you know, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, just uh, last year, you know, he, he didn't have an NSA tournament win and now he's going to the final four. I know it's, it's for a lot of these teams, it's been a, a pretty magical ride. And, you know, I, I think one thing that's interesting is I think we've talked, you and I have talked about this certainly on, this show and we've we've kind of talked about this point in general over you know over the course of this year and and the and the you know last year too is that you know we we tended to think of the you know the transfer portal and nil money making things certainly more volatile but seeming like that would help a lot of these kind of you know standard traditional you know traditionally strong programs if you could offer more money then you're gonna you're gonna be even better if you can get t- get players in the portal. You're gonna only only the rich are gonna get richer. 
I don't know if this is this is just kind of a one-off year or if it refutes that or if you got you know some players with some experience that stuck around and that's that's what's driving this but man it's it does seem like the narrative this year is that anybody's got a chance and I just didn't feel like that was kind of the uh, the the notion not necessarily going in that everybody would have a chance right now to to compete but I mean you know like you said San Diego State's not necessarily a Cinderella team but that they have a chance to compete that you know teams like FAU and you know Miami that they're that they're right here that that does speak something to to the to the landscape of college basketball what does it what does it tell you about where we are right now with college basketball well you make good points um I think the transfer portal for sure um you know has made it so that you know if you stay old which is what every college team wants to do um you know you don't want to lose players to the portal uh you want to keep your best players and have them mature in your program. And then at some point, um, you know, you have a, a veteran team, but now, nowadays, that's just not the the way to build your roster anymore. You know, you, you hope that a couple of freshmen stick around from maybe a big class that you had, but you know, you have to have balance. You have to have transfers. You have to have freshmen that, that start to mature and then eventually uh, have experience. Um, so you see the teams that maybe rely more on freshmen and they've always relied on freshmen, right? The one and dones like a Kentucky or Duke, um, they have, they're just not having a chance, you know, um, to move very far in the tournament. And that's part, partly the portal because these freshmen are running into teams with a lot of experience and they've never been in the tournament before. They don't know what it's like. Um, you know, people forget Miami went to the lead eight last year. So those, you know, several of those players, uh, were used to playing, um, on the biggest stage and then they get like a transfer, so it's a combination of things, right? Then Miami gets a transfer like Nigel Pack, who hit seven threes in, in one tournament game. And he's an NIL guy. You know, he made, I think, a million dollars on his NIL. Wow. Um, you know, and people are like, oh, is that going to shake up his team? You know, they're going to be jealous. It didn't, you know. So, uh, and, and there's guys that, you know, stayed at programs uh, because of NIL, you know. So I think NIL has a has, has a huge uh, impact. Uh, maybe not on the 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 blue the top blue bloods that are always they were gonna you know have these uh, top players anyway. But I think that teams like Miami and you know I mean if you look at it, um, you know UConn you know they've won national championships you know I think four uh, national championships in the last what ten twelve years. Um, but we don't think of them as the traditional blue blood. Um, you know, they're going to be able to, to to sustain success because of NIL and because of the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, want to, you know, they're transferring for NIL, but they also want to win. You know, I think Marcus, pretty sure Marcus Carr didn't tra- transfer to Texas for NIL. Right. You know, so he saw that as the best opportunity for him, you know, to, to make it to the final four, which was his goal. And he got very close. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of things. Uh, I think the teams like FAU and, and San Diego State, you know, they're benefiting also from the COVID uh, extra year of eligibility. So you have instead of four four year seniors, fifth year seniors, some six year seniors, you know, that mm-hmm. stick around. Seems like college basketball forever, um, but pretty soon, you know, those players will, uh, you know, they'll be they'll be gone, and you'll see more traditional uh, veterans and experienced teams, and, and then maybe you might not see. Uh, the craziness that we we have in the tournament this year. Now you mentioned um, the transfer portal. The Gophers obviously, you know, lost some players already in the portal. I'm sure they're hitting the portal pretty hard right now themselves. Head coach Ben Johnson trying to 
replenish that roster. Maybe Marcus, give me a recap of what's happened so far in this Gophers offseason and maybe what they're up to right now in terms of recruiting both, you know, traditional high school recruits plus the plus the portal. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a, a little bit of time here since they played their last game in the Big Ten tournament, lost in the second round to Maryland. Um, you know, right after that, uh, not that long after that, um, and we kind of already saw it coming. You know, Talon Cooper, their uh, starting point guard, was second in the Big Ten assists. Um, you know, he he asked out, um, uh, and he's getting to the portal, and uh, you know, a little bit surprised, obviously. Uh, Jamison battle going in the portal, but, you know, he was always expected to leave and, and test a um, professional route. I, I think both of them, you know, that's probably their goal. I wouldn't say probably that is their goal to play professionally. Um, you know, I'm not sure if either one, uh, what their draft stock, stock is right now, um, you know, to, to really get a chance at the NBA level um, to get drafted. But, you know, I think they're going to probably go through the process. Um, but, you know, right now, most players who are at the end of their career, you know, they, they have to test the portal if they're, if they're considering to go professional because uh, I want to say have to, but a lot of them choose to because they want to see what the opportunity is uh, to make NIL money by staying in college. Sure. So it's, it's like, you know, when they say that, Hey, I'm turning pro um, they're really, you know, in a way they're turning pro in college as well. Um, they can still make, uh, um, you know, so almost a professional contract, uh, staying in college and then seeing what their options are. Jaden Henley and Trayton Thompson both transferred as well, or they are transferring and they're in the portal. So that's not so much um, NIL. Uh, I think it's two separate different situations. One with Thompson is playing time, obviously. And then, you know, Jaden Henley, you know, is it the right fit? I think he played excellent at the end of the year and for freshmen and was really, um, you know, showing progress. Uh, but, you know, he's he's obviously, uh, you know, Dennis Evans was a, a friend of his and is not here. Um, and then he saw an opportunity elsewhere. He's actually going to DePaul. He committed to DePaul um, since the offseason started for him. So, you know, the, the thing about the Gophers is this is not a total rebuild like it was the past couple of years with bringing in, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players. Uh, they do have, um, you know, I wouldn't say a core because <laughs> they still need a point guard and some other spots, but they do have, you know, about four players that were part of the ro rotation last year back. Um, you know, Dawson Garcia, obviously leading scorer, rebounders at the top of the list. Pharrell Payne, you know, very, very talented post player. And uh, another two uh, freshmen from Minnesota and Joshua Joseph and Braden Carrington. So, you know, that's a nice group right there. Uh, very young still with the sophomores. Uh, and, you know, uh, you need to have experience, be around Dawson Garcia in order to give this team a chance next year. And that's where the transfer portal comes in. Speaking of the portal, you referenced uh, Dennis Evans. He might be getting a little NIL money with uh, with Louisville. I don't want to speculate as to how much, but I'm, I'm sure that that might have factored in eventually because that is not a good program right now. Well, I mean, I would say that NIL certainly helped him in his decision to go yeah. to Louisville, possibly. But I would say that that was the reason why he asked yeah. for his letter of intent, because out, out of his letter of intent with Minnesota, because Louisville was an, a, an opportunity for him uh, before he signed with the Gophers. And there were others uh, that were offering quite a bit of NIL money. So, you know, just 
keep that in mind, really, that we've moved on from Dennis Evans. But just keep that in mind that he had the NIL opportunities much larger than Minnesota before he signed. So, you know, in the future, that's the kind of kid that you, that Minnesota is going to have to go after. You know, the local kids that want to stay home and 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 they'll make some NIL, they'll make NIL money here. Transition a little bit. You were over at the boys' high school tournament for um, for a couple of days. You said you caught up with a future gopher there. What what stood out to you from that conversation and just from from what you saw over there from from the teams and players? Well, Isaac uh, Asima. Uh, very, very, um, you know, just great character kid. Um, you know, I think that he's going to bring, uh, the type of, you know, not only player, but person, uh, you know, that, that Ben Johnson, you know, wants and needs in his program. I mean, the guy, the guy has leadership qualities. He's definitely shown that in high school. Um, and, you know, this tough situation for him is when I uh, watched him a couple of times, he was in foul trouble. Uh, one of those games was at Williams Arena, and he uh, played in front of Ben Johnson and the staff and some fans. They won the game, which was, which is the number one, right? You want to you want to move on, and they made it to the semifinals. Uh, but he had trouble with foul trouble uh, in the first half of that game. Second half, uh, you know, played a lot better, helped them to win the game uh, in at Williams. And then when he uh, transferred, I'm sorry, not transferred, but when he moved on to uh, the semifinals uh, at the Target Center. Um, you know, that came up short in that game, uh, foul trouble, just uh, kind of, you know, held him back in the first half. But he came back strong in the second. Um, and I was impressed just, you know, the way that he was able to get that team in position, um, you know, to, to be very close to making the state championship game. You know, two years ago, uh, they, they hadn't been in the state tournament since 1997. Mm. And now they have back-to-back state tournament berths and they they returned their entire team except for one senior including uh, his brother uh, uh, Noah Asima and Isaiah Asima a freshman and an eighth grader which is crazy uh, that they're already uh, that level of varsity but uh, yeah so Isaac definitely has a, a bright future he'll be playing with D1 Minnesota's AAU team this this summer and spring and you know he's already committed so Really, it's about going out there and trying to improve his game. He talked to me about uh, wanting to just improve his defense, um, become a better three-point shooter. And the Gophers are going to ask him to play on the ball uh, and off the ball. So, you know, getting to be able to be a better scorer, uh, facilitator, all that will help the Gophers once he gets there. He is a junior, though, and they they need a point guard next year. <laughs> really impressed with the state tournament overall. I mean, the Target Center does an awesome job. I, I actually prefer it at, at the barn. It's kind of like my office. The championship games that we had um, over the weekend uh, were, were were spectacular, especially uh, 4A. I watched that. You know, I mean, Wyzetta, you know, they got revenge on Park Center. And, um, you know, that, that was a game where, you know, you either could have gone either way uh, towards the end, just a play here or there. Um, Jackson McAndrew is a junior, 6'9", junior for Wyzetta. And uh, he just was unbelievable, especially in the overtime, made some great plays. And he kind of looked like Chet Holmgren out there. He's, you know, the 6'9", 6'10", long, you know, athletic kid. But he, you know, he took his man off the dribble um, that was about five, six inches shorter and and, uh, and scored at the basket. He's a a impressive talent. And, uh, you know, Park Center, obviously, you know, James Ware, uh, former Gopher director of basketball, won the state last year with Braden Carrington, Mr. Basketball. And, you know, he came just short of another 
state title. But I just love it the way that he uh, was able to get his team back in that in that spot and YZ as well. So let's bring it full circle, Marcus. At the end here, what uh, any predictions for the uh, the final four men's basketball final four? We started out talking about that. Is UConn just better than everybody else, or is someone going to give them a game? Yeah, I'll stick with my UConn uh, prediction. Uh, they're the only one I have in the final four correct. So I will say that they will win a national championship and it will be one sided. No, okay. But it just depends on, you know, I think that what, what UConn team shows up. Um, but I think that, you know, if FAU made the championship game, that'd be an amazing uh, story. Um, Dutcher, I think I would love to see San Diego State play UConn in the championship and, and just have that Dutcher family and, and, uh, you know, obviously Minnesota ties. Um, but again, we've already kind of had the best tournament, I feel like, ever, at least while, while I've been watching. Uh, everything else just icing on the cake. Um, you know, of, of course, Miami deserves every bit of a chance as well. And they, you know, they won the ACC. So if they beat UConn, I would not be surprised. But I'll just say that UConn versus San Diego State uh, would be my uh, pick for the championship. And and I'd love to see, uh, you know, uh, Dutcher kind of cut down the nets to win the championship. Uh, would be a great story for him, longtime assistant. But I, I think UConn is gonna is gonna take it home. All right, I like that prediction. I like that uh, everything you had to say here, Marcus. Appreciate your time. As always, read Marcus's coverage of the Gophers and college basketball in the Star Tribune and on StarTribune.com. And uh, Marcus, we'll talk hoops again soon. All right, appreciate it. Thanks. Always appreciate catching up with Marcus Fuller. Does a great job covering basketball, college basketball for the Star Tribune. Um, good, good job putting the final four in perspective. Let's just enjoy it, right? You can light your bracket on fire. Nothing good is happening with that probably right now, unless you pick UConn to win it all. You probably don't have any of those other three teams in your final four, even let alone winning the championship. Um, I've, I've got nothing going right now in my pool. So whatever, whatever happens next, just enjoy the basketball, I guess. And we will go from there. A couple things here at the end. Let's finish with the cooler one. In quarterback movement news, Lamar Jackson requesting a trade from the Baltimore Ravens, acknowledging on Twitter the other day that he requested a trade a few weeks ago, not happy with where they are in contract extension talks. We kind of knew that, but we didn't know that he had requested a trade. That makes this a lot of a different story right now. You know, the Ravens have that that franchise tag on him. We'll see where that goes, but I don't know if his his long-term future is with Baltimore. It's just looking like it might be a messy divorce. And I, I wrote the other day on, on the Rambo blog, like you just don't see, you didn't used to see high profile quarterbacks like this changing teams, especially at the, you know, kind of the apex of their career. Now, now we're seeing him try to do it. We saw Deshaun Watson do it. I'll, you know, a, a, com, a comparative with, with, uh, with Lamar Jackson, merely from a football standpoint, so much more off field by baggage. Baggage is even an understatement with, 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 uh, with uh, Deshaun Watson, but you saw the Russell Wilson trade. Um, you know, you have, you know, now Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, like all these high profile quarterbacks, some of them at the end of their career, but some of them kind of at the midpoint or at least like a, a trade point where they could be at with their teams for several years. Um, speaking of Rodgers, by the way, Packers general manager Brian Gutekunst asked, I believe, at the owners' meetings, so what to, what to make of Aaron Rodgers' most recent comments and the uh, you know kind of the deterioration of that relationship and Rodgers saying that the Packers basically went behind his back to start trying to trade him. He said basically, quote, our inability to reach him or for him to respond in any way. I think at that point I had to do my job. So he's throwing it right back on Aaron Rodgers, saying, "Listen, man, you were the one who was not picking up our calls. You were the one who was." 
basically detaching from this whole situation. You are the root cause of all this. Don't try to throw the blame on us. So this getting a little bit more messy, even if it, uh, I don't know how it could get more messy, but maybe that adds a little bit more fuel to this thing. Imagine that trade will happen anytime now if they can agree finally on some compensation. Also, just want to mention, I really like Lavelle Enil III's column, laying out the reasons why he thinks the Twins will win 91 games this year. A lot of it, the players who aren't on the roster this year, who were on the roster last year, who don't have jobs in the big leagues this year as of yet. Guys like Gary Sanchez, Miguel Sano, Chris Archer, um, you know, guys who you played big roles for this team last year or were expected to at least and are now not even going to compete for jobs anywhere else. So he made a pretty good argument. Uh, you know, optimism is is the big key this time of year. You never know what's going to happen, but I thought that was a good piece. I thought that was well laid out. I don't know if they're going to win 91 games, but I like Lavelle's reasoning. I liked his thoughts. We will see where they get to from here. That will do it for today. More Twins talk, by the way, should be on Wednesday show. Expecting to catch up with Phil Miller, Twins beat writer, to talk Twins. Season opener Thursday. Does it feel real? Does not feel real to me, but it is coming, and I will talk to Phil all about just every big storyline, all the things the Twins are up to. Sunday Gray's comments. I want to get to Phil. I want to go with Phil with that. Lots of good stuff. So hope you enjoy that show. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.